everyone. It's the third week of February. Happy Friday morning. David, what are we doing today? We're rolling up the third week of February. The crypto world moves so incredibly fast. And so Ryan and I go through a week's worth of news as fast as possible. So get that coffee ready because we're coming at you hot. Here's what we do. We always talk about the markets. What are the markets saying? Then we get into releases. What got released in the last week? Then we go into news. What happened in the news cycle? Lastly, we finish up with some ecosystem uh, ecosystem takes. Who had some good opinions in the world of crypto in the last week? And then we finish with what Ryan and David are excited about. And then of course, the meme of the week. The meme of the week is a new feature. Super excited to get there. It's like the dessert at the end of a fantastic meal. David, are you ready to roll them up? We're rolling it up. Let's do it. All right, David, before we get into the roll-ups, we should tell our audience what a lattice is. These are really cool devices. You've got one sitting over there, right? Yeah, it's a new hardware wallet. It's a different kind of hardware wallet. It's not a mobile one. It's one that kind of feels a little bit similar to your Amazon Alexa, your Google Home. You leave it at home and it's got a big screen for you to digest the uh, transactions that you are about to approve. Uh, it's the kind of the new standard in security. Uh, and I've been having a fun, a lot of fun just playing with it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> Lattice wanted us to let you know that they are back in stock for the Bankless Nation. So we will include a link in the show notes if you want to pick up a shiny new Lattice Wallet. They are back in stock. All right, David, you ready to get to markets? Let's do it. There's so, right. so much is happening in the markets. That's for sure. Always, always and forever. Let's start with the Bitcoin market. What is going on with Bitcoin? Did we just hit another all-time high, my friend? You know, once again, I, I, I actually can't remember the last time we've done one of these where crypto hasn't hit all-time highs. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Bitcoin, $52,000 crossed the $50,000 mark after flirting with just being under it right after Elon Musk announced uh, the Tesla $1.5 billion purchase of Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin shot up to like $48,000 and then it hovered there all of last week. And now this week, we are finally crossed over that $50,000 mark. So congratulations to Bitcoin for breaking $50,000. That is a milestone. 50K per Bitcoin. Pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. What's ETH doing this week, David? Ether also breaking all-time highs literally as we record, as we speak. Ether is 19 33, $1,933. The way this is going, I expect it to be higher by the end of this recording. So we will see. Yeah. By tomorrow morning, when you're listening to this, it may have hit 2K. It may have hit 1,800. Who knows? There's a right. lot of variability here, but it is on a tear. I wouldn't be surprised if we're 2K by tomorrow morning when you're listening to this. We will just see ETH has been an absolute tear as well. So has total locked value in DeFi. It is up again, hitting all-time highs. What number is locked in DeFi now? $42 billion locked in DeFi. Last one we recorded, it was right under $40 billion. So in the last week, we've piled on two extra billion locked in DeFi. And of course, the DPI is up to $430. I remember when we started recording this, Ryan, DPI was like at 80 or something when we started doing the weekly roll-up. So DPI yeah, has been on an absolute tear. It is down a little bit on the week though, which is interesting. And I think this mm. uh, this kind of reflects in a ratio that we've been tracking on the rollup that it you know indicates the seasonality we are in in crypto. And this mm -hmm. is the DPI to ETH ratio. Do you want to talk about this ratio, why it's important and what we're looking at this week? 
Yeah, DPI, of course, is the index for DeFi, the top 10 DeFi assets. And I've been paying attention to the ETH DPI ratio because it's a it's a stronger signal, in my opinion, than the DPI to US dollar uh, price because you know the dollar's inflationary, highly inflationary. And really, Ether and Bitcoin are the new ben benchmarks. And so especially with Ether and Ethereum, DPI priced versus Ether really indicates how uh, how risk on people are being, how far down the market cap stack people are looking at. And there was a pretty strong retracement in DPI versus Ether in the last week. And so it hit a, it, it hit a high of 0.26 uh, DPI per Ether. And now we are down to 0.225. Um, so, but overall DPI is performing really, really strongly versus Ether, but taking a little bit, a bit of a retrace lately. Yeah, it's interesting because it's not like DPI is necessarily weak. It's been, you know, mm -hmm. relatively consistent versus last week, but it's just that ETH has been on a tear, which right. which mm -hmm. means uh, the, the DPI to ETH ratio obviously goes down in those types of conditions. So David, let's jump to this tweet by Josh Stark, who noticed that are, there are 173,000 Bitcoin on Ethereum right now. That number is also up. And he also takes us in this tweet uh, where he kind of compares it to total Bitcoin supply. That's almost 1%. 1%? 1% all outstanding Bitcoin is now on Ethereum, which is absolutely huge. And if you compare it to sort of the uh, more uh, Bitcoin-centric, Bitcoin maximalist, maybe I might say, uh, scaling solutions like Blockstream's Liquid, uh, it's there's 63 times more Bitcoin on Ethereum than Blockstream's Liquid. And there's 158 times more Bitcoin on Ethereum than there is on the Lightning Network. Now, what do you make of this? Yeah, first off, this is something that, that fits in the Ethereum na uh, Ethereum native uh, narrative. Excuse me, is that like Ethereum is this nexus of economic activity? It's a it's a black hole of assets. Assets are more useful on Ethereum. There's Bitcoin and then there's Bitcoin on Ethereum and Bitcoin on Ethereum is straight up more useful than Bitcoin on Bitcoin, right? So there's this natural gravitational pull to pull assets into Ethereum. And like Lightning is just not really doing the things that people, that Bitcoiners really wanted it to be doing. And I think that there's a very strong case that uh, all of the use cases of Lightning uh, are going to actually be facilitated by Bitcoin on Ethereum's L2s, like perhaps Loopring. Loopring is fast fast instant payments, trustless payments in the same way that Lightning promised that. But I think that wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum is actually going to facilitate some of the same demand for Bitcoin on the Lightning network. So Lightning is based on state channel technology. And it's interesting to me, David, that state channels didn't really take off on Ethereum either. Right. And they're, mm -hmm. they're not taking off on Bitcoin. Unfortunately for Ethereum, there are other layer two approaches available on Ethereum. We're, we're talking about one in the podcast that comes out on Monday morning, which is rollups primarily. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, Bitcoin has only had sort of this, this one bullet in the chamber, which is lightning, and it's not sucking in a lot of Bitcoin no, right now. Um, the crypto banks certainly are, Ethereum certainly is, but not lightning. All right, David, let's talk about miners for a second. ETH miners are making bank are right now. It. It's insane. It. They made a total of eight, 830 million in January, dude. And 40% of that was fee revenue, right? So again, miners make revenue on any blockchain, including Ethereum or Bitcoin in two ways. One is uh, issuance. So they get a reward based in Ether 
every time they mine a block successfully. So that's issuance reward. And they also make fees on the gas that you pay or the transaction costs that you pay on the Bitcoin network. These two fee structures combine to form the total miner revenue. And what's amazing here is now transaction fees compose 40% of total miner revenue on Ethereum. So what do you make of these high numbers and that proportion of uh, fees being minor, being transaction fee revenue? Yeah, this is just a very strong signal as to what the longevity of Ethereum could be, right? The way that you understand a, a blockchain to be able to live long into the future is demand for block space. And Ryan, if you click on that image, it'll blow it up a little bit bigger. Look at that bar on the right. That that red part on top of the blue part, that's the fee revenue. And the blue part is the issuance, right? Wow. That, they're almost equal. They're almost equal in fee revenue to issuance. And what that tells us is that uh, if you take that fee revenue side of that, that bar chart, it's larger than all of the revenue that miners made in like the bear market for, for almost an entire year. Like the fees that miners made in the last couple months matched the entire fee, the entire issuance and fees that they got in like 2018 and 2019. And this is really important. This is super, super important. And the reason why is because if your blockchain can collect fees, if the validators can collect fees, you don't have to issue as much currency to fund security. That means that your asset will be having less issuance, which means your asset will be more scarce, will be more hard. The more fees that are collected, the less you have to issue. And so the whole narrative around like, this, this Bitcoin hard cap is still thrown into question because we do not see this same minor revenue from fees in the Bitcoin network. The whole narrative around Bitcoin is that at some point issuance will be replaced by fees. Yet we are already seeing this in the Ethereum blockchain. We are seeing a 40 uh, out of the 100% of total revenue, 40% of that is fees paid to miners in ether. I don't know what the Bitcoin fee percentage is. I think the last time I checked, it was like 10 to 15%. But ether, ether and Ethereum is already outcompeting Bitcoin in long-term sustainability. Ether's ultrasound money. It's still ultrasound money. I want to talk two things about this too, David, just to, to add on to what you're saying. It is the case that if all of the Bitcoin were issued, as is the plan, right? And let's say all of the Ether were issued, that Ethereum would be a higher security network than Bitcoin today if they were both based on just transaction fee revenue, which means Ethereum's blocks are more valuable than Bitcoin's blocks, which is interesting because Bitcoin is the one switching to 100% transaction fee revenue, which is not its strength. Its strength is a meme store of value. Its strength is not the value of its block space and its network. So it's kind of switching from its strength to its weakness in its issuance policy. And again, issuance policy is also security policy. So th these are trade-offs that uh, you know people often confuse. The other thing I wanted to say is all of this, this red section that you're pointing uh, at on, on the graph, guess what happens to this red section, guys? EIP 1559s means it starts to, to go to holders. This red mm -hmm. section, a large proportion of it starts to get burnt when EIP 1559 is active, which means it actually decreases the ether supply. So I don't know how much we're looking at here, David, but like 800 and 
uh, 29 million, right? In January, 39% of those were fees. Let's say it's like 300 million or so, something to that effect. Um, a large proportion of that would be burnt under EIP 1559, say 200 million, 250 million of fee burns. That's mm -hmm. a, a de-inflationary pressure on ether and the scarcity of ETH. So this chart is, while gas fees suck, right? Like it is long-term very bullish for the health and security and the product market fit of the Ethereum uh, blockchain. For all the visual learners out there and for those on the podcast, you should check out the YouTube because there are plenty of things to, to look at. Take that red section and then take that an equal amount of the size of that red section and like delete it from the blue uh, section, right? And so like all of that red oh, fees point. that you're seeing, you can actually remove the issuance, right? And so if you remove the red part from the blue part, that is actually the issuance of ether. And the, if the red part continues to go up and up and up, the blue part will continue to go down and down and down under an EIP 1559 paradigm. And just like that, this whole roll-up turned into an EIP 1559 episode. <laughs> we can go on for 10 or 15 more minutes about this, David, but we've got it's to move awesome. on. It's so cool. It it's, is it's awesome. The revolutionary part about this whole entire industry right now. Yeah, and it's so underrated. Like Most people don't understand this. This is not the popular Main Street narrative. This is the stuff that like you're hearing from bankless because you know people in the bankless community are actually looking at this stuff. Anyway, we've got to move on. This is a really cool chart, David. This is companies by market cap. Banks by and market cap. Banks yeah. So this section is banks by market cap. So um, you can look at all total Fortune 500, all the biggest companies in the world. You can also just narrow it in by banks. And what I love about this is if you rank all of the banks in the world and compare that to these new crypto banks, Bitcoin mm -hmm. and Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin ranks number one. It is now the biggest, I guess, money bank type system, transaction system by market cap. So it beats JP Morgan Chase, it beats Bank of America, it beats ICBC, uh, and Ethereum is number uh, five in this? Or five. Four. Yeah, five. Number mm -hmm. four, five four versus okay. the banks, five if you include, include Bitcoin. Exactly. So it is number number four versus the banks. Maybe we'll focus on that. So it has a ways to grow to beat mm -hmm. JP Morgan Chase. Uh, David, but if it doubles, if we're if we're seeing ETH at you know three thousand, if we're seeing ETH at four thousand uh, per ETH, then it becomes the biggest banking system by market cap in the world. So what this tells me is that ETH is 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 climbing right up the banks uh, to mm -hmm. to the banks in terms of value, but it's still also undervalued, right? Like right. if you compare J.P. Morgan Chase, which is four hundred and forty market cap, billion market cap versus uh, Ethereum right now, which is at 221 billion market cap. What's more valuable? The credibly neutral money system for the entire planet backed by a reserve asset store of value money or boring old JP Morgan Chase? I guess that's for investors to decide. Right. And Ethereum, like banking services, is just one of Ethereum's possibilities, right? That's just one thing it can do. It can also do like NFTs and art and gaming, like and all the other things. Like just banking is is selling Ethereum short. It has a multitude of possibilities and it's still just half the market cap of JP Morgan. All right, David, the last thing we should explore in a market section is this chart, which is really exciting to me as kind of a, a bankless maximalist, as I know you and I are, and um, mm -hmm. a decentralization maximalist. So this is from glassnode.com. They put together fantastic metrics on this that I haven't seen anywhere else. And this is a 
uh, charting on Ethereum, the percent balance of ETH supply that's on exchanges right now. And you can see this, this chart over time versus uh, it's compared. This is that's the blue line here is the percent balance of ETH supply on exchanges. And the gray line here is uh, Ether price. Ether price and, yeah. and you can kind of see it ebb and flow. But the good news is um, the balance of Ether on exchanges is going down. And what that means is it's it's going to to other places essentially, primarily right. back to the Ethereum network, primarily back to back to people's wallets, back to the decentralized finance, back to being bankless out of crypto banks. And right now, um, there was at kind of the the early stages, I guess, of this this bull run, or about a year ago or so, about seventeen percent of all ether supply on crypto exchanges. And now there's 13% and it's continuing to drop. This is really good for the bankless revolution because mm -hmm. we want con smart contract custody as much as possible. We want self custody as much as possible. We want a self-sovereign monetary system. We want decentralization. So this to me is a really bullish uh, stat, David. What's your take? Yeah, it's also doubly important for Ethereum versus Bitcoin to not have too much Ether on exchanges because Ether is a staking token, right? And so we want people to be staking themselves, either through a decentralized service provider or just doing it at home. Uh, too much Ether on exchanges is less than ideal. That means there's a lot of consensus by exchanges. And while there are reasons to why that's, that's not the end of the world, it's still better if people are staking their Ether at home. And Ether having its exodus from exchanges is good for that. And it's also good for the price. It's both a symptom of uh, increasing price because when people buy Ether, they remove it from exchanges. And then also there's less Ether on exchanges to be bought, right? And so any further buying pressure increases the Ether price at a faster rate, the less and less Ether price there is on exchanges. Uh, I think you would you can note that the, the lowest Ether percentage on exchanges there's ever been was at the previous ETH all-time high in 2017, uh, when, or just in January of 2018. When, when ETH had peaked out at the last uh, last point in that cycle. And so ETH continuing to uh, leave exchanges is just indicative of this being a bull market. And we want that to continue. Absolutely. Well said, David. All right. We are going to tell you a little bit about the fantastic sponsors who made this episode possible. And then we will get to the releases. Stay tuned. Guys, we've entered a bull market. Now is the time to start building your crypto empire and you should do it on Gemini. You already know Gemini is the world's most trusted crypto exchange, but now you can do even more than trade. You can earn. You can take one of your crypto assets and park it in an interest earning Gemini account where you can get up to 7.4% annualized. There's nothing more satisfying than earning passive income on an asset that you're already bullish on. This is a crypto native superpower. You know what's coming soon too? A Gemini crypto credit card. Yep, that's a credit card, not a debit card. It gives you rewards and hard money crypto assets, not something inflationary like airline miles or hotel points. Gives you up to 3% cash back in crypto. The card is coming in Q2, but you should get on the waiting list right now and we'll include a link. See what I mean? This is more than just trading. Gemini is your bridge to crypto for the bull market. Open a free account in less than three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. Get $15 in Bitcoin after you trade your first $100. That's gemini.com slash go bankless. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. 
With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. All right, David, we're back with releases. We got to start with this one. I think this is big news. Beeple, so that is the, the, the artist, mainstream artist, who sold millions of dollars in NFTs in December. Now Beeple Art is bringing the NFT revolution to Christie's. Christie's is an auction house. David, have you heard of Christie's before? Not at all. I have no idea. Okay, so like I don't, I don't know much about the... Um, kind of the, the the art scene. I don't buy a lot of art myself. You know, when I do, it's like NFT form. But Christie's, I believe, is an auction house where a ton of the most popular art is, is auctioned off. So this is how like art collectors uh, in the real world buy art. And liquidity what's, for art. This is liquidity for art in an auction style because every NFT is different. So mm -hmm. these are non-fungible sort of, you know, collectibles, of course. Uh, they, they can't just trade them on an exchange. So they, they typically auction them off and they do so at Christie's. Well, an NFT is being auctioned off at Christie's for the wow. first time. Wow. I'd love to be able to fly on a wall during that process. Like, like these art collectors are getting educated in NFTs, in Ethereum. This is like, you've talked hmm. so often, David, about um, Ethereum having a ton of surface area, particularly this bull cycle to to collect uh mainstream interest and nfts are a big part of that surface area and now we're at christie's auction house with some of the most wealthy people in the world mm -hmm. educating them about nfts that's big yeah yeah that, that's absolutely huge I, again like i would love to watch i don't know who these people that attend christie's would be but i would imagine that they are older in their lifespan because that's kind of the cohort of people that engages with art. It's people that have had time to accumulate the wealth. Uh, and so I would be interested to see like, what, how, how do you even display art, like an, an NFT art at Christie's? Like, are they bringing, <laughs> are they like wheeling a TV onto the stage to show the, uh, to show the art? I don't know, but uh, congratulations to Beeple for all just being a fantastic pioneer with the NFT space. Uh, and this is just extremely legitimizing. NFTs are really, they've been having a moment, but especially Especially in the last like one to two weeks, they've really started to just rocket ship into the mainstream uh, mindshare. Yeah, and it's cool because Beeple's kind of a like an apostle of this because he both loves NFTs and he loves kind of decentralization and and um, and and everything that's going on in DeFi. But this is not the only reason he he's in it to make money. Like there's a tremendous amount of economic opportunity here, and at the end of the day, that's what's going to draw the world into crypto is the economic activity in this this new land of infinite white space that that can be had here, and that's exactly what's happening. Like billions of dollars, billions of dollars of economic activity is going to draw the world into here. Um, speaking of which, let's talk about the first Bitcoin ETF in North America. 
that's that's the headline speaking I of saw. which <laughs> speaking of which speaking of which but this is this is in canada it's not in the u.s yet hmm. um but i think it's still a big deal ontario securities regulator approves you the would first think it's a big deal mr canadian <laughs> but i don't know if, if bankless listeners know that i am uh i'm Canadian and American. I got my dual citizenship. So I snuck this headline in (laughs) because I'm, you know, Canadian nationalist here. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I think this is big news and it's interesting. I mean, Mm -hmm. U.S. regulators have got to catch up to other jurisdictions. Do they not? This is, this is a race. This is an absolutely a race. Uh, and the, the most crypto friendly jurisdictions are going to be rewarded for this. Uh, and I would always say Canada is generally a little bit ahead of the curve when it comes to stuff, generally just stuff. Uh, and this, this is uh, an, an indication of that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's good news. Hopefully an, NF, uh, an NFT, an ETF is on the horizon <laughs> in the US as well. Um, David, let's talk about Rye. This is mm-hmm. a, we, 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 I talked about this a little bit at the end of rollups as something I was excited about these new kind of money primitives, algorithmic, mm-hmm. almost money primitives that yep. were coming to mm-hmm. Ethereum. And then uh, here's one of them. What is Rye? It's, it's been released. It's now live. What is it? Yeah, Rye is a crypto native form of stability, right? And so Rye, for those that, that don't know, Rye stones are these very ancient, uh, like massively, like massive stone discs that were used in like a, this island. I don't know where. I've got a picture. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, and it's a lesson about money, right? And so these things were a very early primitive form of money for these guys, these uh, people that lived on the island. Uh, and so they, they, if you go in like many, many Bitcoin podcasts and like history of money podcasts, like use these rye stones as an example of how money forms. And so rye, it's like the, a ledger, right? Like each it's of these a, stones like a ledger, represent, right? represent mm-hmm. no one moves them. But mm-hmm. uh, they trade ownership of them as if as if it's a, a ledger of right. some sort. And that's how their money system worked on this island. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's actually the only similarity between Rye and Rye Stones in this Rye project is just the name. But what's really <laughs> cool about this Rye project is that it is self-referential stability, right? And so the, the fantastic thing about MakerDAO is that it produces DAI and DAI is worth $1. The shitty thing about that is that the dollar sucks, right? The dollar is just exporting the, the brand of the dollar into DeFi, right? Rye is a self-referential stability. And so it's, it's, it's a, little, a little bit nuanced and it's kind of not really the right time in a roll-ups to really explain how self-referential stability works, but understand that it is a is a native native peg that doesn't need the currency, an external reference point to become stable. It's stable to itself. Uh, and so this is about self-sovereignty. This is about escaping the dollar and creating our own native forms of stability inside of Ethereum, right? And the best part about this is that it's in, it's also very similar to MakerDAO, except one of the biggest differences is that it's governance minimized, where MakerDAO is uh, very happy to have governance. That's part of the, the MakerDAO uh, protocol. What that leaves is that there is a potential for a governance minimized version of stability. And this is what Rye is. Uh, one of my friends, Amin Soleimani, is, is uh, part of this. And also uh, Stefan, who was actually the first Meet the Nation that we ever did. Um, for, for those that want to go back and, and learn about Dai, that's a great resource. Um, and Amin did this fantastic article, which and his writing is really, really good. So definitely go check it out. And he talks about uh, the concept of like a new money god. He Rai is like this new money god. And what Amin is really talking about is a self 
self-perpetuating DeFi protocol that doesn't have human control, a la a Uniswap, right? A Uniswap where, uh, at least with Uniswap V1, where there was no governance and it just perpetuated. And because it required no external human dependencies, no external human actions, this thing can just perpetuate in the same way that Bitcoin just perpetuates. There's no external dependencies for Bitcoin. It just continues. And so Amin calls this like a money god because as soon as it's turned on, the theory is, the hope is, is that it can't be turned off. And it's all of a sudden here for the rest of time, so long as Ethereum exists. So I'm very optimistic about the future of Rye. Yeah, it's super cool. And it's all based on ETH, right? So all of the collateral is ETH only. Mm-hmm. So that's what gives it its, its censorship, it's resistant, purity. incredibly neutral uh, properties. You know, the other interesting thing about this, David, is like we, this theme we talk about so often on Bankless is that every experiment that can be tried in DeFi will be tried. I remember mm-hmm. there was kind of a fork in the road for the maker project. Uh, there were kind of two directions it could pr- pursue. One was honestly, it's this ride direction, right? Mm-hmm. Where you just, you know, collateralize the entire thing by ETH, but you make some trade-offs in, in some other areas. Uh, and the other, and maybe you don't uh, peg it directly to the dollar anymore. And the other direction is the direction that that maker ended up taking, which uh, has ended up as like DAI is a, is a, is a great primitive stability primitive for Ethereum and for DeFi, but it also has a ton of centralized collateral. Like there's a ton of USDC and USDT backing it. So it's mm-hmm. not as pure. So the cool thing about this is there's kind of like a fork in directions of the project. Maker took one direction and now here comes Rye that's pursuing the other direction. Don't know if this experiment will work or not, but we get to try mm-hmm. it. That yeah, is try awesome. It. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So we'll see what happens here. It's a pretty cool new primitive. David, tell us about Euler Beats? I don't know what this is, but tell us about this. Yeah, Euler Beats is a new NFT uh, release, kind of in the same way that Hashmasks got released and also CryptoPunks got released. Euler Beats is this new NFT experiment. And what's different about this is that it's mostly auditory. It's a music. It's it's not, it, it, there is a visual component, um, but what's cool is if you click on one of these, Ryan, it's kind of like a record player uh, and it'll start to play if you go onto the website and this thing, this graphic will start to rotate and there will be a music that is performed, right, by this this kind of like construction of a pattern, right? It's this automated thing. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. So definitely go to the Dude, website. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the music now. It's coming in my yeah. headset, but no one else can hear this. No one <laughs> yeah, else can hear it, but it, it's pretty cool. And so explain. each pattern has its own like musical orchestra to it. It's musical notes. And so what you are buying is the unique pattern that the music create is created out of these Euler beats. I think that's phenomenal. And I think there's a, a huge world of NFT music, uh, musical pieces that I think is yet to be created. Uh, like imagine the world where like somebody like RAC, who one of my favorite artists who's deep in the, into the DeFi world. I think he might be a listener. What's up, what's up Andre? Uh, yeah. <laughs> creates to- like create songs and then have those songs become tokenized where you can only listen to the song if you own a token, right? There's so much design space that's possible here. Uh, and I'm really excited to see the world of musical NFTs come about. You know what's cool too? As with Beeple, we didn't mention this, but as with Beeple, these Euler beats are all denominated in what, David? Ether. 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 Yep. Uh, you put out this great, great tweet earlier that art, NFT art is priced in ETH. That is mm-hmm. the denomination of NFT art right now. Even in Christie's, basically, the way you buy that Beeple art in the Christie's auction is with ETH. It is denominated in ETH. This is an example of ETH serving beyond the the store of value. 
but all mm -hmm. the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is like the medium of exchange and even the unit of account. This is an asset that is becoming more money-like over time and increasing in its in its moneyness, uh, which is which is pretty exciting, I think, for the the Ethereum space. Yeah, we're already seeing the explosion in digital art and that will be like, like you said earlier, the surface area for Ethereum is massive. And one of those surface areas is buying and selling digital art. And that will all be done with Ether. I think the digital art revolution is absolutely upon us. Uh, we, we're seeing that in basically every single indication that we can think of in any type of market participant. Like you don't have to give a, give a shit about Ethereum to, to care about digital art. You can care about digital art and not really care about DeFi or Ethereum. But if you care about digital art, you're going to need to have Ether to buy that digital art because things are going to be denominated in ether. ETH is money, David. ETH is All money. Right. I've, heard, I've heard that before. <laughs> Let's talk about the pool protocol. Mm -hmm. uh, they just did a community airdrop. So David, for our listeners, what is the pool protocol and what did they do? Yeah, pool together is a no loss lottery where you can pool your funds with other people and for a, a time period and that time period is one week. Uh, and then for that week, all of the uh, uh, funds that are pooled go into something like compound some interest bearing system. Uh, and then it's the interest that is lotteried off, not the actual um, underlying, not the principal, right? So you will only put your interest as, at risk, not your actual funds. And so it's kind of like a Leighton Cusack CEO founder. I actually met him in Tel Aviv when I did my uh, Ether new model for money talk. Leighton is a big fan of just like psychological tricks to get people to save money, right? And so it's a little bit of gaming, but you are actually saving money along the way because you don't lose anything. It's a no loss lottery. You can only lose your interest or you gain the interest of like a thousand other participants. And the point is they just uh, airdrop their pool token. So if you have ever used pool together, if you've ever bought a pool together lottery ticket, you have the pool together airdrop. So go claim that. Um, Ryan, I think you, you are a pool together participant, or at least you uh, were for a little bit. I did. And you know why, David, because I follow the bankless tactics. I, I subscribe to the Bankless newsletter and I follow the tactics. And we released a tactic in September 19, uh, September of 2019, just about pull together as a cool DeFi protocol you could try. And uh, I tried it at that time. I put like $38 in, 38 die in. Uh, and that ended up being worth in this airdrop 81 pool tokens, which mm -hmm. of course these pool tokens, they're just governance tokens. So they, they allow you to govern the parameters of the protocol, but they do have a market value. So if I were to sell those 81 pool tokens on uh, Uniswap, at least if I did yesterday, it would have been worth $1,500. So David, this is another example of like DeFi, using DeFi is rewarding in and of itself, but also because of these token airdrops that are coming down the pike all of the time, uh, we actually released something new to the Bankless program, which is an alpha alert email. So what we're going to start doing for Bankless members is sending you an alert when something big like this happens and you have an opportunity to make some immediate ROI with an airdrop or some mm -hmm. big opportunity. So we sent something that out timely. the other day, something timely. Uh, so anyway, it, this is continuing the story of like using DeFi is, is uh, rewarding. It's a rewarding very experience. rewarding. It's a rewarding experience all around. Uh, David, <laughs> let's talk about this, uh, this last interface, which is Dex Guru. This looks like another Bloomberg terminal for DeFi. What is this? 
Yeah, I think we were talking before we started recording and I think this take is fantastic. So I'm going to steal it. It's so easy to spin up a UI for DeFi, right? This is like the fourth or fifth one we've seen in the last like two or three weeks. It's just a new UI for, you know, Uniswap, SushiSwap, you know, DEX aggregation, price movements, blah, 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 like history on trades. Uh, it's just a fantastic place to go look at what's going on in DeFi. So if you guys want to go check that out, that's dex.guru. Um, pretty cool. Just a builder's inter- like builder's paradise, right? Because yeah. like any developer can create, wire up their own interface, mm-hmm. and all you have to do is bring your crypto wallet to that interface, and it's like just br- bring your money to the interface. You get to select what interface you want. Uh, mm-hmm. Super empowering for developers and users alike. All right, David. And this is how uh, DeFi UX and UI really gets fixed because the competition to have the best oh, UI yeah, and UX is absolutely massive. Like DexGuru is entering a very hotly competitive space to be the UI for like Dex uh, activity. Yeah. And you know what? They probably did this with like two developers and they didn't yeah. need to ask anyone any permission in order to mm-hmm. do this. This is like the early internet. All right. Um, let's get to news. Uh, Robinhood to enable crypto withdrawals and deposits. What mm-hmm. is this? Is this due to some of the pressure they were facing from uh, as, as a result of the GameStop fallout? Um, maybe. I, I don't know about that. That would be very interesting if that was the, the connection. Uh, I think they are what they're really trying to do is follow in PayPal's footsteps and just trying to get ahead of the crypto game. They already had one foot in the door with when it comes to crypto. And uh, honestly, it was the minimum foot in the door, which is just having exposure to assets, not actually owning them, just exposure to just them. Just like IOUs. Robinhood exactly. IOUs for right. Bitcoin or ETH or whatever. Yeah, right. Except you could never actually withdraw your Bitcoin or ETHER. Um, but since crypto is heating up, I guess Robinhood is finally deciding to double down on what you can do with the crypto side of things. And so now in the future, it's not yet, not live yet, you'll be able to deposit and withdraw crypto assets from Robinhood. Uh, I think the next step is for them to enable alternative uh, crypto assets that they have in there, because if, it's pretty abysmal in there. If you go into uh, the, there's a folder in there, I actually checked this out, where you could tap the Ethereum family and see all the Ethereum family assets. Do you know what's in the Ethereum family assets, Ryan? I, I do just because you've told me and it's pretty embarrassing, but why don't yeah, you tell it's us? Ether, it's Ether and Ethereum Classic. And that is what Robin Hood calls- That's a messed up family. family. That's fucking, that's <laughs> Robin Hood, get, get your shit together. Like get DPI in there, come on. Well, you know, they are getting their shit together, at least with this. And what I love about this story is this is an example of the, um, the competitive pressure that's forcing a Robin Hood. If they didn't have to do this, they wouldn't. They'd rather keep everything within their silo, within their four walls. But there's mm-hmm. user pressure, there's economic pressure, there's competitive pressure, and so they have to open up. That is a that is a good thing for crypto and for the world and for the banking system at large. Let's talk about another good thing for crypto. My favorite, <laughs> Andrew Yang tweet. Why don't you uh, Why don't you uh, read out this tweet and talk about it, David? Yeah, Andrew Yang, he tweets out as mayor of New York City. He's not the mayor. He's running for New York mayor. So this is like a tweet trying to say like what he will do as mayor. As mayor of New York City, the world's financial capital, I would invest in making the city a hub for BTC and other cryptocurrencies. Andrew Yang is my fucking guy. Like he's got it. He knows what the future is like. He knows how to position America to capture that future, to capture that innovation. He is an entrepreneur and I, he's the right guy for the job. Let's let's get Andrew Yang to become the new mayor of the financial capital of the world. That's my that's my political opinion. That's David's political it. opinion, right? So like, so what's cool though is uh, we're starting to get politicians on board into seeing that this is not 
a kind of sketchy, um, like terrorist currency that's only in the shadows, that this is good for their economies. It's good for uh, America. It's good for the world and it's good for their political prospects. And that's what mm -hmm. Andrew Yang is, is doing here. I, I'm very certain he believes in the ideals of crypto, but, uh, I'm also certain that that he knows it's good for his uh, mayoral candidacy, candidacy in New York City. So it's kind of a win-win. Uh, and so it's great to see him speaking up. I hope more politicians do so. But look, Andrew Yang brought UBI into universal basic income, into political discord, something that like no one ever talked about. Right. So maybe he could do the same thing with crypto, bring that right. into the wider political uh, party platform and just foster the discussion. And there's so much about Ethereum that really aligns with Andrew Yang's message. Andrew Yang is all about uh, how do we figure out a way to inspire people to create? How do we figure out ways and mechanisms for people to be more entrepreneurial? And like, uh, personally, I never really considered myself as an entrepreneur until I came into the crypto space, until I came into Ethereum, because that's what this space creates. We, it's a very entrepreneurial, rich environment. And the important thing about Ethereum is the, is the amount of surface area it has for people to be able to monetize their labor. RAC, second time I'm going to talk about Andre. RAC, RAC uses Ethereum, the protocol, to monetize his own labor for himself. Digital art creators making revenue, making a business by creating digital art and selling it on Ethereum. Uh, SushiSwap has like a $200 million treasury to help people in their community do provide labor and then receive money for it as a job. All the DeFi apps with treasuries are trying to pay people to do work for them. The amount of jobs that Ethereum is going to create in, independently from like these large organizations, these large legacy boomer organizations, sorry boomers, uh, is, is, is massive. Ethereum is going to create so many jobs and it's going to be creating jobs in the ways that Andrew Yang has been saying, we need to create jobs like this. We need to get fi figure out how to get people to monetize their own labor and Ethereum does that. David, when we were setting Andrew out- Andrew Yang, come on the podcast. Okay, well, I was going to say, when we were setting out goals for 2021, that was one of our goals, to have Andrew Yang on the podcast, over, under, on whether that happens this year. What do you oh, think? Oh, it, it, it's Andrew Yang's coming on the podcast in 2021. <laughs> he's he's going to figure it out. I trust, Dave, I trust David is declaring it. Uh, and I think we might Damn, be I should, one I should go get my Andrew Yang t-shirt. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. So oh, I'm, I'm sure, sure he's listening. He's going to email us right after this. Um, <laughs> let's talk about more about this news, which is, I think, news in a series of kind of the institutionalization of crypto, but more specifically of DeFi. So Bitwise has just launched a new DeFi fund. It was only last week or maybe the week before we were reporting out on a roll-up that Bitwise was starting to incorporate DeFi assets like Aave and Uniswap in its top 10 index. So Bitwise is like a, it's like a set protocol. It's like a, a traditional uh, index that you can buy, almost like an ETF, not quite an ETF, right. but that you can buy to give you mm -hmm. exposure, broad exposure to an asset class of some sort. Now they're launching a DeFi specific fund. Why is this important? It's important because this is how institutions onboard into DeFi and Bitwise is giving them a way to gain exposure. It's another bridge from institutions mm -hmm. to our crypto world. David, any other takes on this? 
Yeah, yeah, it's really important because institutions, when they say like, oh, this DeFi thing is hot, like, how do I get exposure to that? Like, they're not going to go like researching individual tokens, they are going to outsource that responsibility to someone else like Bitwise, right? Uh, Ryan, I think if you scroll down, it'll show the assets that are coming into the Bitwise top 10. Is that true? Uh, Maybe not. But like, there are all the ones that you would expect, which is like Uni. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We got to hear Uniswap, Aave, Synthetics, Maker, Compound, UMA, Unifinance, uh, 0x loop ring. Right. That's a, that's a great portfolio. That's relatively similar to my bags. So thanks, <laughs> thanks Bitwise for buying my bags. Um, very happy about that. But yeah, like I think Bitwise is, is it's inside of crypto, but I would still call it quote unquote institutional. And so really what this is in, uh, relaying to me is that the rest of crypto that isn't Ethereum native, that isn't really deep in the weeds of DeFi are pivoting to start to capture the value of DeFi because that is the thing that is cool and unique about crypto this cycle. Yeah, we are going to have the chief investment officer of Bitwise on the Bankless podcast here pretty soon to talk a bit more about that. So stay tuned if you're interested in this story. David, let's talk about support eip1559.org. This is how governance works in Ethereum and in crypto. Can you talk about this and why this is important and then kind of relate it to, uh, to governance? Yeah, the, this support EIP 1559 campaign is a response to a bunch of miners that are uh, collecting themselves together to do the opposite, where they're trying to nix EIP 1559 because obviously that's bad for, it's straight up bad for miners. Like there's less miner revenue if EIP 1559 goes in. All those fees that we were talking about earlier that, that we, under an EIP 1559 paradigm that gets burned instead of going to the miners. So miners don't like that. Uh, if you want to listen to a really, really good rant, listen to uh, Anthony Susano and Eric Connor on their Into the Ether podcast that they did where they talked about this. Like the the, mi- the the minority of miners, by the way, then what's interesting about this is the support side of EIP-1559 is, is also led by miners, but the, the uh, anti-EIP-1559 also another, a different set of miners, different pools of miners. Like honestly, fuck those guys because they are making the most amount of money that they have ever made ever. And they are just trying to say like, no, EIP-1559 is going to like destabilize Ethereum. We're not going to make any any money. Even with EIP-1559, miners are making the most money that they've ever made ever. Like cry me a river. Like this is why proof of stake is so important because miners are not aligned with Ethereum as much as Ether holders are. So this this website is a website. It's basically an advocacy type website where you can, you know, tweet your support. You click a button, you tweet your support. And uh, just go on record as saying you support EIP-1559. And basically the entire community does support EIP-1559 with a few very small exceptions, except for miners. But let's talk about this because I think this is interesting. What, um, I guess, weapon, what tool, do what, what leverage do miners have over the rest of the community? So let's say I'm a miner. I don't want to lose my revenue here and I I start saber rattling. What's my threat to the Ethereum community? What am I going to do if you guys go forward with EIP 1559? Yeah, the, the minority of miners w- would be able to fork off their chain. And I, I guess they it would actually, they wouldn't fork where like EI, when EIP 1559 comes in, that's going to be a fork. And so the miners that don't want that are just going to continue on in their own chain. But like, good luck convincing the rest of us to go with you, right? This is the power of community consensus. If there's two forks, the community will choose the one that they want to go with. And from what we can tell, EIP 1559 with overwhelming support, everyone's going to choose the fork with that support. So 
you know, go, go fork Ethereum and like go play in your like non EIP one five, five, nine playground, have fun with your like $1 ETH fork. The apps aren't coming there. The community is not coming there. The users aren't coming there. I guess the upside is we might get an extra token out of this that we can, we can <laughs> go sell, yeah, right? Sell like, so this either. is like an Ethereum classic, classic type of situation. So they really don't Ethereum have the leverage cash. here. Yeah. <laughs> they really don't have the leverage here, which is super interesting. But if you're an ETH holder, it's kind of all upside, right? Because you, you, you basically get, you know, both forks mm-hmm. uh, in, in this types of uh, situation. But this is also an example of how governance works, right? This is, right. this is kind of the counter forces at play. And ultimately, community consensus is the engine here, is the governance layer, that layer zero, everyone together deciding which fork they're going to download and support is the community. And that's what Ethereum is. It works the same in Bitcoin. And it's a brilliant, mm-hmm. I think, mechanism for, for governance that's as credibly neutral as it can be. Well, I'll actually be uh, push back on that and be the devil's advocate here. So for anyone that wants to call me an ETH maximalist, here's my critique of this. I don't want in the long term any sort of like, I support this fork versus I support this fork because the whole point of Ethereum in the long term is no governance, right? We were talking earlier about Rye and how it's like a money god because it's autonomous and free from human intervention. This is like, this is, you know, support EIP 1559. That's the same like messages I see when I see like the billboards or the, the road signs about like in Seattle where I live, where like there's political movements about like, let's, you know, add in taxes onto soda or gas. That's not what we want for Ethereum to be. So like the fact that this is even here is a little bit concerning. I don't want Ethereum to be a politically engaging thing. It's supposed to be autonomous. There isn't supposed to be any sort of like political rallying to try and uh, change the direction of Ethereum. The direction of Ethereum should be the direction of Ethereum which is autonomous and takes its own course. Again, we are in this early research and development phase of Ethereum, so that's why I'm okay with it. But over the long term, I don't want any sort of this activity at all. Yeah, and I think I would agree with you, right? So the only answer to uh, can we completely neutralize all political decisions, basically, is to, to solidify your base protocol and don't make any further changes. And at some point that will happen to Ethereum. I think actually some point soon in the next like three to five years, we'll get all of the the core changes we need into Ethereum uh, in the same way that Bitcoin is kind of like codified. It's, It's solid. There are no further changes. Although there's probably one coming down the pike once issuance gets to zero and security drops, maybe. Ooh, Ooh, spicy. A little spicy (laughs) Uh there. But like, but yeah, I agree with you. Ultimately, um, th- this has to happen with Ethereum. But in the meanwhile, we have this nice kind of fork choice rule that lets mm-hmm. the, the community and social consensus ultimately decide anyway. David, let's get to the next re- re- uh, news item, which is mm-hmm. NBA Top Shots, man. This, is, this thing's heating up. The Dapper Labs uh, community company actually behind this is raising $250 million, David, at a $2 billion valuation. I feel like I'm oh, in massive. 2017. Massive. When I saw like when I saw the the uh, Telegram ICO here for like right, billions yeah. of dollars, mm-hmm. is that what we're looking at, or like is there something here? What is this NBA Top Shot thing? What is Dapper Labs doing here? 
Yeah, the numbers are absolutely staggering. A $250 million raise. That's not the valuation. That's how much people, that's literally how much cash people are handing over to Dapper Labs at a valuation of $2 billion. Uh, and so Dapper Labs is the team behind CryptoKitties. And so they were one of the first teams to really experiment with NFTs on chain. And it was so incredibly successful that it clogged the chain back in 2017. It's a famous story. And so this is kind of like the payoff or the reward of being early and figuring out development issues in Ethereum as soon as possible, right? CryptoKitties, the CryptoKitties craze was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it was massive and it brought so many people into Ethereum who, again, don't care about Ethereum. They only cared about the kitties and how like unique they were. And like, <laughs> they just they just came for the kitties. Uh, and so Dapper Labs had that experience in 20, uh, 2017. And then they, they took that information, they put their heads down, they built for two years, and then they landed this NBA top shot deal, which is already pulling in millions and millions of dollars of revenue. Like these, it's an NFT system with the NBA, right? So NBA plus NFTs, and that's uh, ran by the Dapper Labs team. Uh, so congratulations, guys. Like you, you guys earned it. Uh, well done. That's a massive raise. Yeah, interestingly enough, so I think one difference between 2017 is actually they're generating a lot of revenue, right? Mm -hmm. Like the firm has generated almost 100 million in NFT sales, right? So the, the ICOs of 2017 weren't doing that. The other thing is, it's interesting that uh, NBA Top Shots is not built on Ethereum. So it's on this blockchain that Dapper Labs has created called Flow. And what it kind of reminds me of, what Flow kind of reminds me of is it's much less decentralized than, than versus Ethereum. It almost reminds me of like a, a Binance chain for NFTs or like a Coinbase for NFTs type of offering. I think ultimately all of this is synergistic with what's going on in DeFi, but um, it, it's interesting to see how this is evolving across chains as well. Um, David, let's get to this exploit, which is our next topic. So there was an issue with Alpha Finance recently, and it's funny because we've recently had them on for an AMA and asked me anything for the community. And like two days after that, uh, there was an exploit via Alpha Finance, uh, like 38, million dollars lost, something like that, uh, 37, 37.5 million lost. What's, what can we like take away from this, this ex exploit? Yeah, the, uh, the DeFi summer cohort of applications of which Cream is a part of, uh, and even later Alpha, I believe, are very big fans of integrations, partnerships, building with other apps. And I think that's fantastic. The unfortunate side effect is that that is a lot of surface area for attack. Um, so that's kind of basically the story here. There was an uh, economic exploit, I believe, um, that uh, leveraged the the Iron Bank, which is this very interesting project, which I'm, I'm trying to get some content out of the Bankless program on the Iron Bank in the future. Um, and unfortunately, because of the co composability, uh, they had a weakness that was exploited. Sad. Yeah, it's it just it's another reminder, and we'll talk about this when it happens. But it's another reminder that hey, this is the wild west. This is risky. It's the frontier. Be careful what you put into these DeFi protocols. I was struck by how like talented the Alpha team is, but also David, when we talked to them about the like, I was struck by the complexity of the protocol. Right, so these protocols are getting more and more complicated and sophisticated. And with that complication uh, comes these sorts of potentials for, for backdoors and flaws. Like Alpha was audited out like, like crazy and this still happened. So, um, you know, the, the, the most powerful 
risk mitigator of any protocol is what we call the Lindy effect. That is how mm -hmm. long it's been going on the total locked value dur during its lifespan. The longer it lives without exploit, the, the longer you can expect it to live into the future. And Alpha is still a relatively new protocol. So I'm mm -hmm. not blown away that this happened at all, but um, we should remember that this kind of thing does happen and can happen in DeFi. And just be careful out there, guys. Um, another thing to be careful of is volatility get liquidated <laughs> don't get liquidated we saw a little bit of volatility right recently mm -hmm. like these 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 are like little you know bear markets dips for ants i feel like david mm -hmm. but like mm -hmm. this 30 percent dip that we had i don't know in the last week it's over now yeah it was on tuesday monday and tuesday yeah. on tuesday uh -huh. liquidated a whole bunch of people who had loans taken out of ave curve uniswap DeFi. this is the biggest liquidation we've seen Mm -hmm. in DeFi so far, 1.6 billion in total liquidations. That tells me a lot of people are playing with, with some leverage here in these volatile lots markets. Of, yeah, lots saying? of people playing with leverage, which of, of course is the, uh, arguably the reason why these markets tumble when they do tumble is because people get really bullish um, and then and then they take leverage because they want more exposure and then things don't go their way. And so they get scared. And so they deleverage. And what happens when you deleverage is that you have to sell into the market to cover your position. And since things are already going down, it made you sell, which makes people the market price go even down even more, which makes more people sell. And so like we will watch the price of Bitcoin, price of Ether, price of these DeFi tokens like skyrocket. And that's a sign of people taking on leverage and then the people will get out over their skis and then things won't go their way and then it'll tumble back the other way. It's not sustainable. So these, these contractions, these retracements are really, really important for a healthy market. Don't get wrecked, folks. Like don't take too much leverage. The whole point about this cryptocurrency re revolution is that it's a once in a lifetime event. And if you fuck it up because you took leverage, you're an idiot. Like don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, like we're going west. This is the Oregon Trail. Do not get killed somewhere on the trail. Like just stay alive. That's your number one goal in the Bankless program. Stay alive to fight another day and leverage. Man, leverage can kill you. Um, Uniswap has processed over 100 billion in volume. There's nothing too much to say. We talk about Uniswap all the time. This is an incredible feat. It's a team size of 11 and they did this mm -hmm. with a protocol, David. I mean- Yeah, team size this, of 11, but they had Ethereum on their side. Exactly, right? So like it- it what we're really looking at is a like team in kind of their garage, almost like, you know, the early Silicon Valley days that can uh, disrupt entire industries. That's what crypto, that's what Ethereum gives you the power to do. So super exciting, great milestone. Well done. Hayden Adams, come on the podcast. Hayden know you're Adams. Listening. <laughs> we know you're listening. Okay. Uh, Coinbase powers Tesla Bitcoin buy. Feels like Coinbase is maybe evangelizing among like the executives in corporate America about mm -hmm. crypto and maybe Bitcoin specifically. What's uh, what's the take on this headline? Yeah, the, the big news of last week's roll up was the $1.5 billion purchase of Bitcoin from Tesla. And now the, the we were finding out that they actually got that Bitcoin on Coinbase. So really bullish for the Coinbase IPO, honestly. Uh, and I'm sure they took a nice fee out of that. That was that was probably pretty good for their bottom line. Yeah, Coinbase is going to be one of the biggest IPOs of all time, one of the biggest tech IPOs over t uh, of all times, so like looking at like 80 billion right now, if you're, you're to believe kind of like futures volume. So that's going to be huge for the industry. Uh, last thing, tell us about the CryptoPunks NFT movement. Someone bought this CryptoPunk for 600, for $1.2 million, 650 ETH. What's going on here? 
Yeah, yeah. So CryptoPunks are kind of one of the OG NFT phenomenons. I'm pretty sure they came back around in 2017 along with CryptoKitties. Uh, and so the, each one has different features, just like CryptoKitties. Each one has different desirable you know, aspects about them. Apparently people really, really value this particular one. It's a, I, I don't know, it's a guy, it's a, it's a guy in a bandana. Uh, funny thing enough, these, these things are, I think 25 by, or 24 by 24 pixels. And I did the math, Ryan, it's 1.12 ether per pixel is the valuation <laughs> on this NFT, which is insane. That's wow. insane. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a punch per, per pixel. I, yeah, maybe, per maybe pixel. the most expensive per pixel Art piece uh-huh. ever sold? Possibly. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know. Um, like, so I look at this, David, and I don't understand why this is worth one point two four billion. No, but that's okay. I, I, like, yeah. million. Excuse me, not billion. But like, I'm not in the the culture. Like, I, I, again, I don't know if we were to go to Christie's auction house and you're to tell me some painting was worth millions of dollars, I wouldn't know that either. But the market gets to decide the price of these things, which is super yeah. interesting. Yep, absolutely All crazy. Right. The NFTs are hot. Let's go to takes, David. What takes do you want to start with? Let's start with the start with. Let's do it. All right. Yep. Let me start with this. So uh, I tweeted this out. I said, I found Binance Chain. David, do you remember those AOL CD-ROMs used to come out? Um, I like, was actually I too young know. for these, man. You're I too never, young. All right. So young like, <laughs> I'm like the elder millennial here, right? So I remember <laughs> we used to get them in our house. We used to play like Frisbee with them. And AOL would just like mass spam everybody these CDs. And it was kind of like a gateway to try AOL. And it was really a gateway to the internet. So people um, are are comparing the Binance chain's transactions to Ethereum transactions. And when they do that, I, I part of me gets it, but a huge part of me, me doesn't because Binance chain is basically, it can't be compared with an open permissionless, credibly neutral settlement network like Ethereum. It's a separate thing. Binance chain is AOL. It's not the internet, right? And I think people really need to understand that when you're looking at transactions on something like, like AOL, you're not looking at transactions on the open internet. These are separate things. So Binance Chain is really like a permissioned walled garden. And that is indeed, I think, synergistic with open networks like Ethereum, but they're not the same thing. Like if, if the internet stopped at AOL, David, like the internet would suck. <laughs> it was a completely mm-hmm. different experience, all kind of curated applications from AOL and later like Time Warner. And it's nothing the same as the, the open internet. So I guess my message is understand, like we're in a bull cycle. So there's all of these narratives flying around, but like understand the fundamentals of these networks are totally different. They are the AOLs out there that claim that they are open and that they're the same thing of the internet. And then there's the true internet networks like Bitcoin and networks like Ethereum that are permissionless, open, credibly neutral. Those are the things long-term that are mm-hmm. going to be important for this industry and for humanity. And the AOLs will just become like another CD you play you play Frisbee right. with. So <laughs> anyway, that's the hot take here. I love it. I love it. All right, let's move to yours. Um, art is priced in ETH, David. Did we already talk about that? Should we talk about that again? A little bit. Yeah, let's talk about it again, though. So uh, Mariano and Eric Connor talking about uh, Mario Mariano gives like the the one fire emoji for the phrase tokens are priced in US dollar and then two fire emojis for tokens are priced in ETH, but then three fire emojis for Arthur art price in ether. We talked about this earlier, of course, and Eric Connor just drives this point home. The future of art will be priced in ETH. Uh, The future of art is digital and that digital art will be priced in ETH. That's super cool. Do you think, though, that what 
could happen with the art scene, NFT art scene, is that stable, it will start to be priced in stable coins as well? Or do you think like ETH preserves its uh, unit of account in this world in, in kind of a different way? Yeah, that's a really good question. Definitely something to pay attention to. I don't have an answer for you. However, I will say that the NFT mania that's going on is these things being priced higher and higher and higher is going in a correlated fashion to the price of Ether. So yeah, it's super fascinating. Everywhere we see NFTs, they're largely, at least right now, denominated in Ether. So uh, definitely lends uh, some credibility to that take. Um, David, I want to get to this take. And this is a picture if you're watching on YouTube. What am I looking at in this first picture here? It looks like almost like, you know, the brain, it looks like neurons firing here. Mm -hmm. What is this picture? Yeah, I got this picture. Um, it's from a it's from a Wikipedia article, but it's supposed to be some sort of like a, a networking infrastructure testing mechanism, right? And if it's a, it came from a, my a conversation I had with Trent and Zach Cole from Whiteblock, where Whiteblock would try and recreate environments to test networks. They they like EOS hire them to test networks, and uh, other other studios with working in distributed systems would ask them to test their network. And so they would create this like pseudo replication of the internet, right? And this is the picture that we're looking at, right? It's like this branching, forking, uh, like network of just connections and nodes. And it's supposed to be like a representation of um, just the way the topological map of the internet, right? And uh, Will Price tweeted out uh, an image that caught your attention. And I think if, uh, yeah, that's the one, that's the one. And this is a semantic network of Ethereum, right? And so this is actually connections as to, um, uh, transactions and and calls and uh, th things that I'm not a coder so I'm not I'm gonna flub all these words but like all of the transactional uh, data and uh, contracts that people use on ethereum it looks the same it looks the same it, it looks like the same kind of like structure same kind of pattern semantic mapping it's pretty cool this is like a superstructure that we see in nature all of the time like when, if you look at kind of in like deep space at how galaxies are arranged it's kind of in this like network like fractal type pattern that we see in, you know, trees and veins and arteries and in, in, you know, pine cones and snowflakes and all of these things, this, this fractal pattern. You wrote this great piece, David, called uh, Ethereum is an emergent structure. And it's funny because this is kind of how emergent structures look, right? Like mm -hmm. they're kind of chaotic, kind of unpredictable, uh, but they somehow chaotic come together. organization. Chaotic, chaotic? organization. Okay, what is what is chaotic organization? Because I think that's important to the take here. Right, it's organization through chaos. Right, like what happens when a bunch of chaos just is allowed to just be chaotic over time, eventually patterns emerge. Eventually we get order out of the chaos. And that's what we call DeFi, right? Like eventually DeFi stratifies, it self-organizes, it self-creates. Uh, and that's the pattern that we're seeing here. It's an emergent structure. All right, David, uh, let's go with another Michael Saylor type take. He's buying more Bitcoin. You know, mm -hmm. what's interesting too, is he is buying Bitcoin uh, once again with convertible notes. So what, what's crazy here, David, is debt for everybody is relatively cheap right now, like home mortgages, if you look at that on kind of the consumer side, but uh, corporate debt is super cheap too, because of course the Fed sets interest rates, interest rates are at an all time low. So if you're a big corporation with a decent balance sheet and some cash flows, you could borrow a lot of money. The question is, once you borrow that money, what do you do with it? Michael Saylor is borrowing that money at really low interest rates. 
like two, 3%, super low interest rates because the money printer is cranking, the money printer's printing. So he's borrowing all this money, uh, and more and more of it, it seems. What's he doing with it? He is investing that in crypto in particular. He's investing that in Bitcoin. He's buying Bitcoin. So he's playing like this um, money printer arbitrage game where like, he's like, okay, print the money. It's super cheap. I've got a good balance sheet. I'm just going to take that money. No, I'm not going to plow it back into my business because I I couldn't invest $600 million in uh, my microstrategy business and, and grow my business analytics right. products. But I can take that money and I can go and buy Bitcoin with it. And that's going to be worth a lot more later. It's crazy, dude. This is corporate arbitrage once again. And it feels like the like he's found a hack. He's found mm-hmm. like some sort of hole in the Exploit. matrix. Yeah. exploit that like the other corporations haven't quite seen yet. And he's, uh, he's front running that. Uh, we're going to see more of this, aren't we, David? What's your take here? Yeah. My, my take is actually, we forgot to include this in the news section that Michael, Michael Saylor and Michael <laughs> yes. bought 600. That's because it's old news, dude. It's, that's not, it's just not it news happens every week. <laughs> yeah. This is a lesson in printing printability versus unprintability, right? Michael Saylor can print as much uh, micro strategy stock, uh, stock as he wants. And then he can take that and people are giving him dollars, which again are printed. And then he's buying Bitcoin with it, which is unprintable. Right. And so this is a lesson in printability versus unprintability. Yeah, it's a fairly smart move. All right, guys, we're going to come back with what we're excited about and the meme of the week. But first, we want to talk a little bit about the sponsors that made this roll-up possible. If you are looking for a product that connects your fiat bank account with DeFi tokens and products, you need to download the Dharma mobile app. Dharma is a non-custodial smart contract wallet and comes with a bridge that connects you right into your bank account. Dharma is the fastest and most efficient wallet between your fiat in your bank account and any token on Uniswap, or even any vaults in Yearn. With Dharma, you can get over $25,000 per week into the DeFi universe, and you can do it non-custodially. If you or anyone you know is hot on DeFi and you're trying to get your money into a DeFi investment, Dharma is the place to go. Signing up and going through KYC is an absolute breeze. It took me just under three minutes. And after signing into my bank account via Plaid, I am now just one transaction away from any token that Uniswap has to offer. Go to www.dharma.io. That's D-H-A-R-M-A dot I-O. Download the Dharma app and get yourself unbanked today. If you want to live a bankless life, you've got to get yourself a Monolith DeFi Visa card. Monolith is a one-two punch. It's both an Ethereum smart contract wallet and a Visa card that lets you spend the money you hold in your Ethereum account anywhere Visa is accepted. This is super cool. You can swipe your card at the coffee shop, at the gas station, When you do, you're paying with crypto, all without a bank. This has been the crypto vision since day one, and it's here. Monolith also offers on-ramps for getting your fiat into the world of DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your Monolith card whenever you need to. You could top it up with ETH, DAI, or DeFi tokens. And because Monolith is native DeFi infrastructure, the money that you hold not only never touches a bank, but it retains its DeFi superpowers. So you can swap assets on Uniswap, you can earn yield in DeFi protocols. You've never had a Visa card like this before. Go to monolith.xyz now and sign up to get your Monolith card. That's monolith.xyz. 
All right, David, we're back. Let's get into it. What are you excited about this week, my friend? Yeah, I am excited about this podcast that I didn't know that we were going to produce until this week when I fell down this little rabbit hole that I went down. And so I'm on a quest to produce this article that's coming out, going to come out on the Bankless Newsletter at some point in time, all about how like one of the most underappreciated things about the cryptocurrency industry is our culture. And it's one of our best exports. The crypto, one of the cryptocurrency's best exports is our culture. And uh, yeah, my ideas aren't really completely formulated around this. So I'm, I'm going around the ecosystem to talk to people who I know ha- has ideas around this. So I've talked to Amin, Amin Soleimani, and then he forwarded me to uh, this guy, Peter Pans, who's a big NFT fan. He's in the meta cartel, uh, has his own podcast, Wizard of the Daps. Uh, and he wrote this uh, four-part series as the the called uh, Before Bitcoin, The History of Cryptography and the Cyberpunks. And so what I've done is I read every single one of them, except I've recorded myself. And it's a fantastic story. It's a mind-blowing story. Uh, and so we're going to get Peter Pan on the podcast to talk about what it was like to uh, to write that, in addition to actually the the audio of me reading it. It's a, it's a mind-blowing story. I think it's going to be a, a really unique piece of content. Uh, and uh, it just kind of illustrates, my big takeaway was that Bitcoin and Ethereum, are just the latest in a multi-decade year-long story of the evolution of cryptography. And so if you think that like Bitcoin just came out of nowhere, it's like, oh, we have Bitcoin now. It's like, no, no, it, it, there were three decades of fighting between uh, these cryptographer cypher, cypherpunks and the US government to produce what we can do now do today with cryptography. And it's an underappreciated story. It's undertold. And I hope we can tell it on the Bankless podcast. That sounds super awesome. This this movement, we say it so often, is a, a cultural movement. It's a social movement. And when you can get to the roots of where the social movement came from and what the belief structures are that formed it, I think you tend to understand crypto and what we're trying to do here all the better. That, that sounds awesome, David. I'm excited to dig into that with you. Ryan, what are you excited about? Uh, I'm excited about the movement too. And I feel like the bankless movement, the DeFi movement is going mainstream. So uh, David, we, we, I, I got on the, the Andrew Yang podcast Yang about speaks. a week ago, Yang Speaks. So not with Andrew Yang, uh, not yet. That comes when hopefully Andrew Yang comes on the podcast, but they, were, they reached out to us because they were interested in crypto, basically. They were interested in, in doing sort of a 101 on crypto. So uh, we got on Yang Speaks. That's you know, kind of one mainstream type event. We're also getting Mark Cuban to come mm-hmm. on the Bankless podcast because no big deal. <laughs> NFTs. He's really into DeFi. So he's being scheduled on the podcast. We hit 25K subscribers on the Bankless wow. newsletter. So I feel like this DeFi, crypto, this Bankless movement is growing. And uh, I'm super excited about the progress we've made, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. The the Bankless is a really scalable meme. Um, people, people, when I wear my Bankless shirt, people are like, I don't know what that is, but I like it. And I'm like, you definitely <laughs> don't know what it is, but I bet you do like it. <laughs> so I, I think that the, the future is bright. All right, David, let's get to the meme of the week. I'm going to share this meme on the my week. screen. Meme it's of the week meme time. Of the week. What are we looking at? All right. So we're looking at the Scooby-Doo guy. I don't know what his name is, actually. <laughs> Does that make me a boomer? I don't know. The, the blonde guy the from Scooby-Doo. A boomer would know who Scooby-Doo is. I'm That's sorry. That's not point. a boomer. Okay. So he, and he's about to pull the mask off on the villain. And on, the mask on the villain says, on the blockchain. And then the caption is, let's find out who this really is. And then the mask is pulled off and it's the Ether logo and it's actually built on Ethereum. <laughs> Fun fact, yeah. when you see on the blockchain, there's a decent chance that they're actually just talking about Ethereum. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ethereum definitely underpins a ton of this industry and I think is underappreciated as a brand, right? So even even when I'd like describe kind of what I do, they're like, oh, you're into that Bitcoin thing. Like Bitcoin is the the Coca-Cola type brand that describes all of the other uh, all of the other like you know, soft drinks. Uh, and, uh, it's interesting that, that so much of this is actually built on, uh, on Ethereum too. So, all right. Um, that's the meme of the week. This has been the the roll up. Third week of February. February, Guys, we're almost concluded almost the end of Feb. Uh, It's not leap year. Nope. We're almost Mm -hmm. done February. That's it. (laughs) Disclaimers. Yeah. Disclaimers. ETH is risky, crypto is risky, so is Bitcoin. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Mm